coming to you live from Browns headquarters in Berea, Ohio. This is Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Brought to you by Jack, the official entertainment partner of the Cleveland Browns. Here are your hosts, Bo Bishop and Nathan Zagura. Live on a Friday edition of the program. Welcome to Cleveland Browns Daily, brought to you by Jack, your official entertainment partner of your Cleveland Browns. I am Billy Bo Bishop. He is the Z, which stands for Zagora. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing very well. Looking out at a winter you're wonderland, lying. wondering what no, the heck, not. what the heck is going on you're out not. here, Bo? What is the deal? What's, what are we doing? What are we doing? Why is this happening to us? Ridiculous. We need to have the. You need to have the Lombardi uh, from the NFL films. What the hell's going on out there? Right. That's what, what you need for this. That's Yeah, it's, a, it's outrageous. What are we doing? It looks like it may as well be December 20th, except we don't have Christmas right around the corner, although we do have the draft right around the corner, so maybe it's a fair comparison. I am so excited for the draft, um, and I know we're going to get into it coming up here um, a little bit in the in the second segment when we go around the league, but um, just the I think what is going to be just a wild – week uh next week where the nfl from a news standpoint is concerned um but for those who who are listening out of market we have a legitimate it's snowfall kids in 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 the greater cleveland area it is absolutely snowing it is accumulating it is supposed to last throughout the day yeah it's not showing any signs of of letting up it's i'm watching it right now i mean it is a legit i don't know if if all the way in the snow in the nice high hills of Hudson, if we've got, if we have a full Jeez. whiteout on the ground, but we have a full whiteout here. It has fully covered the ground. Yeah. All you can see is snow. No grass is apparent. Yes, yes. <laughs> Down in lowly, the lowly lands. <laughs> it is a, it, it is a, it's a stunning thing to see this late in the year. Uh, and apparently this is supposed to go on throughout the day, which is a, it's a pretty wild thing to wrap your head around, but uh, the warmth, warm blanket of the NFL uh, will get us through the next couple of hours, certainly, and next week I, I do think is going to be a heck of a lot of fun. As we get into the OBM Hot Topics, Ohio Business Machine, preferred copier provider of your Cleveland Browns, of all the X's and O's for your office, call 216-485-2000 or visit ohiobusinessmachines.com. Um, let's start with the, uh, the the world at large and the, these phases now. As, as we had Governor DeWine on, we, were, we talked about this on the end of the show. We didn't have him on. But we talked about it at the end of the sure. show yesterday about opening back up Ohio uh, on May 1st. Uh, as a quick aside, I will tell you that after I got done with the show, I told my wife, did you see what the governor said, opening back Ohio? And she just illuminated with the idea. To her, all she heard was opening back Ohio. School. It was like, the kids are going back to school. Thank God. When? How does it happen? What does it look like? I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. No, no, no. no, no I, no, I don't no, think no. that's going to be the case. I think you're going to be doing this the rest of the year. And I will tell you to watch the joy just slowly fade out of her face and the reality that there will be no change, that you're locked in. No, she's locked for the in, rest yeah. of For the rest of this year. There was some, I, I'll have to make up for it over the weekend. I'll just say that. Um, but, yeah, in terms of what it means for sports is anyone's guess. What I do think is the signs are positive. Uh, when you when you hear from what Fauci said this week, when you hear from the governor and the president in terms of uh, phase one and what sports will look like, it appears that sports are coming around to the idea of playing with fans or staggered fans or lesser fans, fans with a little bit of social distancing at games, selling less tickets. Everything's on the table. But I've I've never this was a week that was pretty good. It started tough for me on Monday. I think no no Easter after Easter nothing to look forward to. Yeah. And I got to tell you, as the week went along, a positive outlook on things. 
things with the idea that maybe we could be getting back to some normalcy, uh, at least some form of new normal. Yeah, and the Gilead treatment is supposedly is working well or showing signs of being able to work. So, yeah, a lot of positive developments. And, look, what I said all along is we have the smartest people in the world, you know, working on this around the clock, and science is going to save us. And I'm not saying that we're there yet, but I do think that we are in a much better spot than we were before, and now you have an opportunity to hopefully, as you said, get back to some level, some semblance of normalcy, and you know, start to get back. Unfortunately for your wife, that I do not believe that means school anytime <laughs> yeah. soon, but I do think that it means you know some reopening of businesses, and it's going to be phases and waves. And you know, what's interesting from our standpoint with an, with the NFL and with an NFL team is, given that they are you know all the all about you know keeping things on a level playing field i don't think certain teams will be allowed to go back to their their facilities until every team's allowed to go back to their facility so i i wonder how that is going to play into this going forward it's the real tricky part of this my friend is the idea of um the nf i mean we know how much goodell is about level playing field the nfl is built on parity uh, and everybody having the exact same opportunities, the cap, so forth, the draft, everything. And and I think that's probably why the penalty was was strong on deflate gate because that was viewed as a competitive advantage. So to your point, it's hard for me to imagine um, any sort of opening of, of a facility until all of the facilities could be open. Uh, I think you're right, right on that point. Yeah, and I think – and so that's going to be interesting, you know, and see how that impacts us, et cetera, going forward. But um, – yeah, it's 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 I like the positive trends. It makes me feel look, my date that I had set in my mind that I would be happy with all along was August 1st. That uh, that's his yeah. you know return to 80% of normal and that you know we might only get to 80 or 90% of normal again because I think people's behaviors are going to change as a result of this and, and you yeah. know it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out going forward but I do think that you know that was always my date, and I feel like we're I feel we're trending pretty good for that date. So I, I like that. Yeah. I feel that makes me feel good. Yeah, it's good to go into the weekend uh, on a high note where that is concerned. Um, so there is a lot going on in terms of circulating in the NFL circles about potential moves, what could happen in the draft, those things. We've been linked in a lot of things, and you mentioned the. We talked about this yesterday with, with uh, in respect to your talk with Ben Albright about perhaps the Broncos and, and us could be trade partners and us going out of 10 and going back and still getting the tackle you want and maybe picking up another two. And so those things continue to swirl. Gibby asked the question here out of the gates. If the Browns were to trade back, how far would you be willing to move back, Dr. Z? That's a that's a question for Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski and Paul DePodesta to answer honestly. It's, but, a, it's a, a question for you right now. And now it's my question to answer. And I'll say this: I'll put some <laughs> some scenarios in your head. It depends a on how they evaluate these offensive tackles and what they think of these guys in this draft class and how big of a difference. As I said, you know, on some other uh, uh, other programs, I think it's very possible that the quote unquote top four tackles aren't necessarily the Browns' top four tackles. And yeah. so it comes to that game of cat and mouse, and we're seeing, you know, you'll get into some of the Ian Rappaport quotes that Gibbe provided us for the uh, OBM Hot Topics just about, in general, the difference in, in information. You're not having as much groupthink. Teams have been isolated from each other. That's why there aren't as many leaks this year, and you're also not altogether pro days comparing notes, et cetera. Everybody's really locked down. So it, it depends on, A, what you think of the tackles, B, 
what the compensation is to move, right? So, yeah. you know, Denver, when I was talking with Ben Albright, Denver is interested in coming to number 10. They want to get in front of the Jets. So you move back to 15, okay? If there are three tackles on the board that you like when you pick at 10, I think you feel very comfortable that one of them will be there for you at 15. And the reason that being is that the only teams that might take tackles would be the Jets and the Bucks. So yeah. in that case, then you say, okay, the calculus is worth it because we're getting this extra asset, hopefully a day two pick, maybe a second or a third rounder, which in this draft, that is, you know, a lot of people say the real sweet spot. There are a lot of good players available rounds two and three. Do you go back into the twenties? You know, maybe I think, you know, Austin Jackson, Josh Jones, Ezra Cleveland, it just depends again, what you think of these guys and how you evaluate them. But to move back there, the compensation is going to have to be better. You know, maybe yep. that's a second round pick that you can use on, on an edge rusher or on a linebacker that you really like or on a tight end that you really like to kind of fill out that room. You know, assuming you have a safety with your your traditional second round pick, you also have the option to move back and say, you know what, in the back of my head. Yeah, we like these guys. If it works, it works. If not, we'll dial up Jason Peters for a year. If not, we'll dial up. Maybe we go back and we, we move down and we use that ammunition that we got to trade for Trent Williams. And now we get the best safety. You know, maybe we love Xavier McKinney. We get Xavier McKinney in the first round. Or we love one of these linebackers, a Patrick Queen or a Kenneth Murray. We think they're true game changers. So I, I think there are a lot of ways to look at it. And it depends really on the scenarios that they've gone through. And I know they're doing all their scenarios, not only from a draft pick standpoint, a trade standpoint, but also a technology standpoint, you know, any issues that could be there, our guys are going to be incredibly prepared. And so I think that that gives me a lot of comfort, but it really depends on the different ways you're planning on approaching this. You could move all the way back. If you want to move back into the second round, you can do that. You, I mean, to the end of the first round, you can do that if tackle is A, you like seven or eight of these guys, or B, that you already have something in place for a Trent Williams or for a Jason Peters that you then activate so at that unknown. moment. So there's so much there's unknown, so and there's so many scenarios that could play out if you're the Browns, and I think you're in a good position with in regards to that. So everything that you just laid out is why the last part of your statement there is the most important one, and that is that the team's in a good position because it's at the middle of – if somebody if somebody wants to get one of those first four tackles, you're going to have one of those guys available. I do believe probably two of them yep. at least will be available at 10. If somebody wants to get ahead at the start of the wide receiver run, then you're in prime position there. And by the way, that could get, that could get ramped up quickly – if the Jaguars at nine take CeeDee Lamb or if they take Jerry Judy or if the, or if the Panthers do that, we haven't, they haven't been mocked there. But if, if they do that, then that changes that game a little bit. And now all of a sudden, somebody who thought they were going to get Lamb or Judy or Ruggs, now they're maybe in, in danger of not getting them at 13, right. 14, 15, 16. So in that spot, you're in a good spot. You're in a good spot if the, if the quarterbacks fall. If Herbert or Tua fall, you're in a good spot at number 10. You really have an ability here to be a, a real power broker next Thursday at your position. Um, and as we went through in the draft, you're really picking second overall by the time you extrapolate everything up from it. Exactly. That's what we, we arrived at that, and I still believe that to be true. So it's just a matter of what we want to do uh, it, it, with that second overall pick in this draft. And so – I think there are a lot of scenarios. You, you nailed it again. We are in a good spot. I fully, I trust the guys that are running it from a process standpoint and from a preparation yep. standpoint in terms of laying out the plan, laying out the scenarios and everything there. If the Browns like a guy more than other teams, 
That's the that's the cat and mouse though. That's the game of chicken you have to play. Yeah. You may say, sure, we think that this tackle who and I'll use Ezra Cleveland as an example or Austin Jackson as an example. And you know, we I shared that document with you guys yesterday. Bob McGinn pulling all the GMs and it was inter and, and we can talk about that because there was a, some interesting stuff in there. But that you could look at this and have a completely different view than the other teams. But is the risk when you when you open that up? There are things that then become out of your control. If you're yeah, on the clock at you ten, your guy's there. You want to get right. your guy, right? Yeah, it's not yeah. just getting a guy; it is getting your guy. And so I find that to be uh, very much an interesting, you know, a, not dilemma, but that's what that's one of the things that you have to weigh when you're getting into this. Yeah, it's it's going to be fun. I think we're set for an absolutely wild next week in the NFL. I really do. Cooking is hard. Delivery is easy. So order takeout or delivery from buffalowildwings.com or through the new Buffalo Wild Wings app. Get award-winning wings. Over 24 sauces and seasonings delivered hot, fresh, and straight to your house from their delivery partners, DoorDash, Grubhub, Uber Eats. Subject to availability, both the Z and I have enjoyed this in the last couple of weeks, and I could not recommend it enough. Coming up next, we go around the league. And, boy, it's starting to get interesting, especially at the top of the draft as business Business is open in Detroit. We get to that coming up next. CBD, 850 ESPN Cleveland. You're listening to Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Injuries during childbirth require experienced counsel. Call the lawyers at Elk and Elk for a clear answer as to what happened during your child's birth. Elk and Elk is a proud partner of your Cleveland Browns. Call 1-800-ELK-OHIO today around the league. Brought to you by Jack. Ian Rappaport with some interesting tweets this morning, including this one. I want to start here. He says, the media is wronger. This is a quote from a GM. I don't know if wronger is a word. You went to private school. Uh, the media is wronger about mock drafts this year than you guys have ever been. Players will be taken where no one expects. Uh, are you buying or selling this statement? There's another tweet in there from Rappaport that says that because there are no pro days, because there weren't uh, those type of pro days and stuff, there won't be groupthink. That there won't be – that scouts have a way of coming on to each other and saying, okay, I agree with you, and they view a certain prospect the way that others would, and now there's none of that. Um, and so the last time everyone was together was at the Combine. I think there's a lot to this, frankly. Well, I think there's a lot to it. I, then I, I mentioned that in the first segment, the thing about the, the group think and the no pro days, yeah. and I think, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I will say this with 100% confidence that Andrew Barry was not the general manager quoted in this, in this piece here. I'm going to go ahead and – Was there thinking ahead. that he was? No, oh, but it's just because it says wronger. Right, wronger. You're wrong. Yeah, nope, not RGM. We can rule him out. Did you see? Did you see the difference? Um, did you see the screen grab? I don't know who tweeted it out. One with a, one with a, is it Telesco, who's the GM of the Chargers? Yep. And his setup, and next to him was Gettleman's setup. Yep. Did you see this? I sure did. So for those of, for those of you who haven't, so the the GM of the Chargers is set up. He's in what looks like a one of those. You see him now all the time at like. Uh, you know, furniture places have. I'm sure they have at Northeast Factory Direct. Those long tables that are like they're like almost like a long picnic table. Yep. So he's, he has this set up. He's got a comfortable chair. He's got what appears to be like six monitors there, where he's monitoring all sorts of things. He's got a big screen. He's got a place he can watch film, and he's got a television up on the wall where he's monitoring the news in this fantastic, you know, what appears to be my guess is probably a, a some sort of a Laguna or a Newport Beach estate in Southern California. Converse to that, in the exact same image, is Dave Gettleman, the GM of the Giants, who has a 
a, a laptop and a binder, and a binder about eight inches thick. And you say to yourself, these people are not fight. This is bringing a knife to a gunfight situation. That's what I'm saying. Right. Yeah. There are, there are going to be a gr- – that's why I feel that we are in, at an advantage yeah, in this environment relative to some of the others who are not as tech savvy or used to this. I mean, I can imagine our setup with screens where you're, everybody's faces are right there. We've got it all set up. As I, as I mentioned, maybe we'll do some accidentally unmuting on purpose, and, and a person that you mentioned like Dylan would be a perfect foil for such a scenario where you're doing <laughs> an unmuting, an accidental unmuting on purpose. So – yeah, it's that's that's the reality, though, right? That's going to be the difference between certain organizations that are nimble, better equipped to deal with this, and others. And I think I give yeah. Kevin Stefanski and Andrew Barry and Paul D. Podesta a lot of credit for identifying exactly how they wanted to operate, having that plan, and being you know all systems go full speed ahead. And a lot of credit goes to our IT department, Trex and his crew, setting them up, the getting them everything they need, and you know you feel really good about. Something that is a variable. That's a variable in this draft. Yeah. How organizations are going to be able to handle with this and deal with it. And I feel that that is a variable that we are going to be ahead of the curve on. I couldn't agree with you more on all of those fronts. And I think I think everything that Rappaport is saying today is true. And I think it could lead to wild, a wild week. I really do. I, I think in terms of who can trade or where to trade to or who to trade with, there's going to be some people who are comfortable with that and some people who aren't, and you have an opportunity to lap the field a little bit um, on that front. Speaking of trades, Bob Quinn, the general manager of the Lions, telling reporters he's had conversations with teams about trading the third pick, and those will continue. In other words, come get us if you want us. Now, the question is, who would be the teams to do it, um, and which would be the quarterback would be the apple of the eye? The only one that makes sense to me is Miami to do it. Uh, that they would go up uh, to three if they wanted to make sure that they could get Tua. Um, if I were them and they, if I were hell-bent on taking a quarterback in this draft, that's what I would do. Um, I would not try, not wait to hope that he's there at five. But um, at the same time, I, do, I don't know if that's going to be quite as hot of a market as we thought it was going to be a couple of months ago. Uh, I don't think so. It makes a ton of sense for the Lions. You're still going to get you know, either Akuda or Simmons at five. So why wouldn't you try to make a move back if, if you could do yeah. that with Miami? I just don't, you know, you're seeing Miami be into Herbert. You're seeing, you know, Miami being into Tua and vice versa with the Chargers. So do they care that much? And and look, we know from our own experience, you got to get the quarterback that you love. I'd, the question is, are they in love with any of these quarterbacks? I think that's the, that's the unknown. That's the variable right now that we're not privy to the answer about. No, and because we haven't had the normal I think because we haven't had the normal amount of, of seeing everybody in a place. Like, you think about the amount of stories that come out of the Combine, right? Just people talking. We haven't had that. The league hasn't had that. Not since the Combine. We haven't gotten together as a league, so not at Pro Days. Yep. So there just hasn't been – it's been the same few people. I tend to trust Armando Salguero on the Dolphins. So if he says it and kind of where he's leaning, that's kind of – I think that he's probably pretty plugged in on that. But it's hard to say um, because we just – there's not a lot of talking. Like if you go to a pro, like normally, like a Tua Tagovailoa pro day would have had most of the league and most of the league's reporters, and so conversations had it, which lead to them, you know, either pushing an agenda one way or another. We haven't had any of that. We have not, and that's why we haven't gotten some of those little news bits. But right now, Tom Pelissero actually given us a little something and, and something to think about from the trade down camp. And here it is. You ready for this? 
Go. Kyle Pelissero reporting, before everything shut down last month, the Jets had dinner with Georgia offensive tackle Andrew Thomas and put him through a private workout the next morning, per source. Will Thomas be there at 11? Several teams in the top 10 also have shown interest, including the Dolphins. He follows that up with the Jets also did dinner and a workout with Alabama offensive lineman Jedrick Wills. They hosted Louisville offensive lineman Makai Becton on a 30 visit. They video chatted with Iowa's Tristan Wirfs. Lots of homework on potential protection for Sam Darnold if one gets out of the top 10. So you go back now to a potential trade-down scenario if you are the Browns, and that means if the Jets are showing that interest, that could be a smokescreen. I mean, again, they let Robbie Anderson go. Maybe they're interested in a weapon, a wide receiver there, and certainly the Denver Broncos believe that they are as of right now at number 11. But they they would be a team that could be taking one, and, and I mentioned the Bucks. I think it's natural. Everybody, that seems to be as consistent as us taking an offensive tackle is the Bucks at 14 taking an offensive tackle as well. So, like I said, if you were moving to 15, there'd have to be three of them on the board that you yeah. felt pretty, pretty good about. And, and again, that goes back to the overall evaluation. Are, are those three, you know, that you like, Austin Jackson, Josh Jones, Ezra Cleveland, do you like them maybe more than some of these big names that are potentially out there? And that opens up or a, a lot of questions. Yeah, is the difference negligible? You know, that type of thing. So, um, again, I, I, I caution you to not believe much of any of this. I, it's There's so many agendas that are being played out right now and will be continue to play out as we get to the beginning of next week. Last thing I want to get to with you in this segment here before we get to Don Shanka, uh, Dan Shanka at the bottom of the hour. Jets all-pro safety Jamal Adams not expected to participate in the NFL's voluntary virtual offseason program. The Jets have expressed an interest – have not expressed any interest in extending Adams. This feels like Jalen Ramsey to me, bud. It does, and listen, I would certainly be very open to to taking Jamal Adams right off of their hands, and that's something that if I were the Browns, I would be exploring. It frees yeah. you up to do a lot of different things in this draft as well. I think considered him to be one of the premier players in the NFL. Uh, I consider him to be one of the standard bears in terms of just – I think he's an absolute baller. And if you could get him and in a deal, I would be – I would certainly be open to that. I would explore that if I were the Browns. What is your best guess on what something like that the compensation would be? I don't know if he's if he's really you know if he's done with them from an organization standpoint and there's no chance that they can retain him, you know, you're you're in you're dealing with on one sense a little bit of a, a bidding war, right? But on the other hand, you know, the best they could do when he leaves would be a third round compensatory pick. So that is a pick after pick 96. So pick 97 would in theory be the best that they could get from yeah. him. So I don't know. I think pick 41 certainly would be probably something that, that would interest them because you're taking money off of their books and you're giving them a chance to replace that safety at a spot we know in this draft. You know, they could just say, all right, you get Jamal Adams, we're going to draft Grant Delpit. So yeah, there, uh, that would be interesting, but he's a guy, I think he is a he's truly a elite player in the National Football League. Yeah, he's he's one of those guys that just – flashes and you feel like he's just going to be a dominant player on the back end of that defense for the Jets for a very very long time but there is a real disconnect and and if you're them you have to try to maximize your value on what you can get for him uh 41 and a player does that get it done it might who knows we'll see yeah. I, and I don't even know if that's something the Browns would explore because this again to my other point if you're from the Jets thinking is probably the same thinking of the Browns thinking and it, it strikes me that the Browns could say hey we're going to go ahead and take a look at, you know, the guys that pick 41 who we think can be maybe not all the way there, but certainly very, very good and also will not cost us, 
you know, fifteen million a year. Right. Yeah, that's that is the tricky part of it. It's this. I'm telling you, pal. It's going to be fun. Next week's going to be fun. Going to hear a lot of stuff starting this weekend, and it's already starting to come here on a Friday. Coming up next, Dan Shaka, the GM of Our Lads NFL Scouting, one of the very best, most knowledgeable guys you will find. He will join us. We'll go over this draft. We will preview it with him coming up next. CBDA 50 ESPN Cleveland. You're listening to Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. All right, welcome back into Cleveland Browns Daily. Bo Bishop, Nathan Skura with you on a Friday. Time to add it on the hotline. Our good buddy Dan Shanka joining us. He is the GM of Our Lads NFL Scouting, rlads.com, former NFL scout and still consults with NFL teams to this day. Dan, thank you so much for taking the time. Let's let's go big picture first before we get into some of the specifics. The talent in this draft as a whole, how does it rank with, with previous drafts and how does this one hold up? Well, I, I think this, that first of all, thanks for having me on. And second of all, I think that uh, it, it depends on the position. Obviously, the offensive tackle position has got more depth than it's had in uh, a few years, and you got some real talent there. I think that, uh, that and most of these guys are ascending-type players. They're not uh, lock and load uh, Hall of Famers right now, but there's some really good talent there. Uh, and obviously – you know, it's no secret the wide receiver spot is just incredibly full of really good football players. Uh, in fact, so many. I, w- I would think there might even be close to uh, 35 to 40 you know, wide receivers drafted, which is going to knock some other positions out of the bottom of the draft. But this is such a deep draft. And the other thing is, if, the, if they don't get drafted, they're really going to be uh, highly paid uh, undrafted free agents. So, but I think the rest of the draft overall, I think you're talking about average. You know, um, I, I don't think that, you know, the, the quarterbacks, you know, they've all got holes in them. Uh, just a matter of, uh, you know, you kind of get try to get the best of the worst, I guess. And, and uh, Burroughs is a really good player. And, of course, Pooh is injured and stuff. But and running backs, there's some solid running backs in there. Uh, the corners, not maybe a lot of depth, but some – good ones toward the top. So I just think overall I would say it was an average draft with the two positions uh, that I talked about as being strong. If you were breaking this draft down, where would you want to have, if you could accumulate, you know, a sweet spot of picks? Is it the second and third rounds? Is this a strong day three draft? Where would you want to have, if you were a GM, you know, have, you know, multiple picks in a couple rounds? Well, I'll tell you, I, I, I think that the uh, the third and the fourth round uh, is going to be loaded with players um, in probably the sixth round area. Uh, but, but I'd say the third and the fourth round is uh, going to be loaded with some pretty good players that will help and contribute to a team. Dan, let's let's settle in now on a couple of positional needs for us, and let's start at tackle. Um, one of the conventional thinking that that we've kind of gathered since the combine is that there has that at the combine it was very clearly it felt like there was the big four, and then there was that next group of three or four, and then a little bit of a fall off. It seems like from in the lead up to this draft that the difference between the top four and the next three or four has gotten smaller. I don't know if that's just because more teams need tackles or not, but how do you evaluate the tackle position? Who do you love in it, and is there a big difference between that what seems to be the consensus top four in the next three or four 
Yeah, well, I think the reason that some of the guys got a little bit closer is because they're underclassmen that, that you know, those guys at the top, those top four, obviously, Wirfs and Thomas, Becton, and Wills are all underclassmen, but people were watching them, you know, uh, throughout the year. Well, then a guy like Austin Jackson from uh, Southern Cal, you know, he started out a little slow because uh, he, he gave bone marrow to his sister, actually, and he didn't have his strength back until toward the end of the year. So, you know, he kind of ascended as uh, we went along here, good combine workout, things like that. And then Cleveland uh, from Boise State, a big, long tackle, uh, really athletic guy. And that's, you know, offensive line coaches fell in love with him because of his, his length and his athletic ability. Again, an underclassman that's an ascending player. Uh, and then Jones from Houston, um, you know, he's really the only senior people were zeroing in on because of his athletic ability. Now, he's not a violent – he doesn't have that violence in his game right now that you like to see in an offensive tackle. He, he's a – I don't want to say he's a finesse guy. He moves his feet really well, keeps a good base under him. He's got good extension with his arms and everything. But, uh, you know, he's kind of at the bottom of that, that group. And then you got, you know, a, the next group of – Guys that are athletic that have length or girth, uh, also in the third round area. So um, you know, I, I think that um, you're, people are going to get a pretty, you know, or certainly a really good developmental tackle in this draft through at least three rounds. Which is a good thing. It's a big need for the Browns. The question will be, when do they pounce on that position? The other position we wanted to get your take on, and I think if the Browns do take a tackle at 10 or somewhere in the first round, if they moved around a little bit, pick number 41 lines up pretty well for what, I, what we think is maybe their second biggest need, and that's the safety spot. Uh, how do you like the safeties in this class? And you know, you, Xavier McKinney probably gone by then, but other than that, maybe these guys, you know, the Delpits, the Winfield Juniors, et cetera, Jeremy Chin uh, will be on the board. How do you think of the safety class and particular for the Browns at that 41 spot? Well, I, I'll tell you one thing. If Delpit's there at 41, they better just, uh, you know, send a carrier yes, pigeon run. or something right to the commissioner, yes. you know. Because, I mean, this guy's a, he's a great football player, and I don't care. I mean, I we got him going the first round, and I think that, you know, the, the thing is, I think your initial impression when you're studying these guys, you kind of – you always go back to it or hang with it no matter what happens because, you know, he's played the sprayed ankle all year. People say, well, he didn't do this. He didn't wrap up well. But all of a sudden, his, his uh, teammate, Queen, who has got a short-armed linebacker, he, he ascends into the first round. So, you know, it's just crazy. But, again, it's not the teams saying that stuff. It's everybody out there has got a computer. You know what I mean? So I think that uh, – if Delpit's there at 41, you got, hey, I mean, he's a no-brain lock, pick, take and go. Uh, but uh, I think he's going to be gone to somebody in the first round. And uh, But anyway, uh, Duger from Lenore Ryan, um, boy, he sort of looks the part. You see him, um, man, he's chiseled out of stone. He can really run. He's a super smart guy. He's got instincts. Uh, he can return kicks. Uh, he can cover. So, uh, he's probably going to be in that second round area. We got, in fact, in one mock draft that we did, no, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, we actually had him going to San Francisco in the first round um, in their later pick there. So, uh, you know, I think that, you know, he's going to be available. I think Davis from Cal, uh, really athletic, free, strong safety combination guy. 
Um, and anymore, the guys have got to be able to interchange, you know, that free and so, the strong safety position. So, but Davis would be in that mix, and I think he'll also be there at 41. Dan Shock, our guest, he's a GM of R Lads NFL Scouting. It's rlads.com, former NFL scout, and still consults with NFL teams today. Uh, Dan, let's let me. I want to circle back to tackle with you for a second, and I want to get uh, some thoughts on Tristan Wirfs at the top, who I, I see you have ranked as your number one tackle in this draft. Uh, we had Joe Thomas on with us, and and John Greco as well played obviously for a long time in the league, and both of those guys thought that he was better suited as a guard uh, in this league. Um, you have him number one at tackle. Obviously, he has all the athleticism in the world. What is it that you love about him to put him at that that type of elevated spot, number one in this group? Well, his athletic ability and his youth. Uh, I mean, he's played both tackles and did a nice job. He, he played about four games last year at left when uh, Jackson, their left tackle, was injured and out uh, for you know like four games, and they moved him over there. It's kind of a uh, effortless move, but. But one thing, you know, in all respect to Joe, because I think he's one of the best of all time, and Greco, like you said, played a long time, somebody's got to play tackle in this league, okay? And I, everybody always wants to kick these guys into guard. Like, I want to kick Wills into guard because he doesn't have the length that you'd like, you know, out of tackle. And, uh, but somebody's got to play tackle, and uh, worse is athletic. He can move his feet, keeps a good base. Uh, he, he, and he's been in a pro system for three years, and uh, he's the best athlete, just straight-out athlete of any tackle in this draft. And uh, uh, I think, you know, him or Thomas from Georgia are going to be, you know, the top tackles off this board. Now, we got we got Wirfs as our top tackle, and then we got Andrew Thomas as second out of Georgia. So I, I think that uh, because of Wirfs' youth, and, and I'm going to preface it with this, I don't care who the Browns end up taking at 10 if they do take a tackle at 10, which they need to. Uh, they don't want to lose one of these guys and fool around. they got they got to take a tackle. But I think, you know, Bill Callahan is, if not the best offensive line coach in the National Football League, you know, the roll call is short. And he's going to make that tackle a Pro Bowl player by his second year, if not the first year. And uh, I think Bill likes the Big Ten offensive linemen. And uh, I think they would lean that way, but Worfs could very well be gone to the Giants at four, or Thomas could go at four. So for some reason, Thomas gets lost in the shuffle, uh, even though he yeah. played in the SEC, you know. But he, in our, our opinion, those are the top two tackles. And then you have Beckton, or, or we like Wills more as a guard, uh, like I said. But I think that uh, Beckton's just a wide body guy that needs a lot of work. But if Bill Callahan gets his hands on anybody who the Browns pick that offensive line, they're going to be a lot better football player than than before they got into the Browns. Yes, and that's, I think, one of the things that the Browns are, are banking on, and that's one of the reasons Bill Callahan was brought in here to get this tackle in what will be an interesting offseason, ready to play and ready to play quickly. Uh, I wanted to ask you about uh, another position, and that's the receiver position. We know that you know some people say this is a historically deep wide receiver draft. You mentioned maybe 35 getting drafted. Do you, do you think that you know teams, are because it's so deep, are going to wait and wait, and you're going to end up being able to get great values of that position you know, in the fourth, fifth rounds? I don't know. I think on the top end, um, I don't, you know, we've got um, nine first-round grades on wow. these receivers, yeah. okay? So I don't know uh, how long you're going to want to wait on them. I mean, 
Pittman, we got, you know, we got him technically in the top of the sack then, or IU from Arizona State, but those guys are first-round caliber, you know, down at the bottom of first-round kind of guys. Higgins, we got down there underneath, you know, um, uh, the other six we got ahead of him. So, and he's really a good receiver. So, I, I don't, I don't think um, people are going to wait around. If you want a receiver at the top, like you want a great route runner, a guy's going to step in your offense right away. I think Judy's probably your guy. Lamb's got to learn more about NFL. Uh, route running and things like that, but he's a super talent. You know, he's got a great catching radius. So uh, Rugs, you know, I can see I can see uh, Las Vegas taking him because John Gruden. I work with John at Philadelphia. John's going to say, "Well, hey, look at Hill down at Kansas City. He runs by everybody. We got to have somebody like that on our team." So Rugs might end up being the first wide receiver taken. So it just you know it all depends um, you know on w- what the team is ready to pull the trigger when they're going to do it. Dan, let's go to uh, – uh, speaking of talent, uh, a, a unique talent in Isaiah Simmons who we just love. I don't see any way he gets to 10, but uh, if he does, I, I would I would give up the tackle position to be able to take him there in that position. He just seems like such a game wrecker, and especially where the league is going, where this is a guy who could play every down and cover everybody from a slot to rush the quarterback. Um, what is – what what is there a prospect you can compare him with, and what would you do with him um, in the league? Well, he's so unique. I mean, here's your matchup guy, like you said. I mean, you described him perfectly. I mean, he's the, the NFL player of, of the, the that everybody wants nowadays because you can match him up with, yeah, you put him in a slot. I mean, this guy's a former safety that moved forward, which you want, moved a linebacker, so you can cover the best tight end that you'll see. You'll, you can have him cover a wide receiver in the slot, uh, because he's got uh, defensive back skills, you can put him absolutely. You, there's not a back that's gonna, he, he, that can beat him uh, in any kind of route, and because uh, he, he's a, a short area quick guy too, so he can change directions really quickly. Um, and, and he plays the ball well in the air, and he plays the run, and he get he can blitz. You know, he can either bring him on the outside off the edge blitz. You can twist him inside uh, in the a gap blitzes. So um, there's just so many things you can do with the guy. Now, I agree, but I, I still, hey, I want my man Baker protected, okay? And I don't want that. <laughs> That's one thing Simmons can't play is uh, left tackle. So, uh, But on the defensive side, I understand what you're talking about, but I'm trying to determine whether he's going to end up being in Carolina or if he's going to end up being in, uh, I don't think I don't think the Giants are taking, but I think he'll end up being in Carolina or Arizona. He is a, a quite the talented player and one that would make things very interesting. I think if you were on the board at 10, you say no, stay with that tackle. One other position I wanted to pick your brain at are the edge rushers, and this is an interesting class because Chase Young is, is widely regarded as the best player in this draft, but then there's a pretty decent drop-off you know, between he and, and the next group of those edge rushers here, and yeah, some will go in the first round. You're sure Gross Matos, perhaps A.J. Epinesa from Iowa to a pa- uh, Big Ten guys, but you know, for the Browns, maybe it's pick 41, but maybe even in the third rounds, you know, they could be looking to get kind of a succession plan there, somebody to run alongside Miles Garrett with Vernon and Adrian Claiborne, both veterans opposite him currently. Uh, anybody in that group that kind of stands out to you? I, I know the, the kid from Utah, Bradley Anae, has said he's talked with the Browns quite a bit. We've seen that, some reports on that. But anybody in that group that, that you particularly like? 
Yeah, well, Ane is a guy that we got in the third round, uh, you know, a third-round type selection. I think that uh, – um, but like you said, uh, there's not many real edge rushers. Now, people got fired up about Ane even more so at the Senior Bowl, but to be honest with you, he was playing against two guys that will never play tackle in the National Football League. I mean, he just killed them. I mean, like, it was a turnstile, you know, and both those guys he played against were inside guys, and I mean, he – he just, they just whiffed every time they tried to put their hands on him. So I, I don't think we can go, go too crazy about that game. But he did have a good career at Utah. I think a third-round pick would be really solid. The thing you got to look for, though, in those guys, I think Zuinga from Florida, for instance, he's got a pretty good quick first step. Uh, and that's what you're looking for, guys that can explode off the edge who got that first step. Now, a guy that, that I think is really a good player that could be had and he'll, he'll be a solid player, and he'll be a, a guy that will uh, eventually start. But as Tuska from North Dakota State, uh, he's a long guy. He's 6'4", change, got long arms. Uh, I mean, he can come off the edge. That He's got that quick first step that you like to see. And, you know, he's probably going to be taken in the fourth round. But the other guys, basically, and Zuing, I, I talked about, but, you know, the other defensive ends, for instance, they're, well, Gross Meadows, so, you know, we already mentioned him, but most of those other guys are basically run players, like they're going to be left defensive ends in a four-man front or, you know, a five technique in a three-man front. So um, I, I think that um, the, the, the real true edge rushers, they're far and few in between. Now you're going to, you know, scheme some guys open, like Chasen, for instance, from LSU, the outside linebacker. You know, you'll scheme guys like that Braun from uh, Wisconsin, uh, Lewis from Alabama will be outside along with Taylor. Uh, both, both those guys will be, you know, second, third round kind of edge guys, stand up the joker type position or what have you. But, but the true explosive guys uh, off that edge, there's just not a whole lot of them. Last one I have for you, my friend. I, I want to go at the top and a guy that we're going to probably have to see a lot, and that is Joe Burrow. Uh, we were at the Combine, and a lot of people loved him. Uh, there were people that said he was the best quarterback since Luck. Uh, we had him on the show saying that in terms of the way that they had scouted him. You have him number one as well. Um, where do you have him kind of historically with other quarterbacks who have come out recently? Uh, guys, I think he's very unique. Uh, I don't know that um, – now. Uh, and I don't want to throw Tom Brady out there uh, because this guy, you know, Joe's tall and slender. Uh, in fact, he's a little more meaty than Tom was when Tom came out of Michigan. But uh, Tom was in my area when I was with the Eagles, so I knew him quite well. And just, I guess, the similarities is that his, you know, he's angular and uh, and he's really he's highly competitive. Now he was Ohio State, um, or he, he was State of Ohio basketball player of the year too. I mean, the kid's a heck of an athlete and he can you know he's a I, and the thing is i think he's a lot better athlete than people gave credit for and now tom couldn't do that in a million years so i think that you know it's it it's hard to compare some some guys uh, at times and burrow is stands kind of on his own because i mean he's a hard his dad is a coach he's a hard-working yeah. kid he's super smart and all that so you know but burrow is i, I he is he's the top quarterback in this draft, in our opinion, and uh, we think he'll show that in, down in Cincinnati. 
Dan, just to circle back to those tackles, we've talked a lot about it, and obviously you think it's the most important thing for the Browns to get. I think everybody associated, you know, our fans, everybody listening, wants the Browns to get that tackle in the first round. And you, you've touched on this, but I want to be a little bit specific here. How big of a difference in your mind is there between the Wurfs, Thomas, Becton, Wills group and the Jackson, Ezra, Cleveland? And I'll just leave those two names there as two guys that I've you hear are good fits for the wide zone scheme. We've heard Ezra Cleveland's name linked to the Browns, not just because his last name is Cleveland, but that's kind of in the rumor mill right now. How big of a difference is it in your mind between that top four and then, we'll say, Jackson and Cleveland, knowing, as you pointed out earlier, they get to work with Bill Callahan? Yeah, well, I think this, that uh, first of all, the com- competition that those tackles like Wirfs and Thomas and Wills, they played against, you know, uh, they, well, you go look at the uh, the defensive ends in, in the uh, they're coming out and um, uh, Wirfs played against all of them. You know what I mean? And yep. Thomas didn't play against any of them. And then, uh, but you know, so I, I mean, he he went against uh, Wirfs went against Apenza every day in practice. You know, so he he uh, faced better competition. And like I said, Kurt Ferentz, of course, he coached in Cleveland years ago. I mean, all these guys are taught pro technique, so he's going to be way ahead of like Becton. Becton was, was a you know kind of a big piece of meatloaf about a year ago before the new staff got in there and kicked him in the rear end and got him going, and then he trimmed down in weight, and uh, you know, because he had the ability, he just has to you know, and the other thing is about big guys like that, really big guys, they have a tendency to break down also, you know, and they're, they're so big, so I just think uh, I think that Worfs, because of his athletic ability and being young, I mean he's just a puppy now. I mean he's played three years. He'll be you know twenty one, what have you, when get finally get into twenty twenty one, and all it's all ahead of him. And he knows about hand placement. He knows about head placement. He knows the white zone. Um, you know things that Bill Callahan teaches, and uh, and then Thomas. I think Thomas will be just a step behind, but I think that. Uh, I, I, knowing Bill and, uh, you know, working with Bill in Philadelphia for years and following him when I was scouting and things like that, you know, I, I think that he'll really like Thomas. I think he'd like to have either one of those guys. I think Beckton would be down the line for him. I think he'd like Wills because Wills a violent player. He's, he, and uh, he might remind him of Scherf a little bit, you know, when he came out and Scherf came out of Iowa. Sure. He was a tackle. They moved him into guard. And that, I think Wills, to me, though, is a guard, not a left tackle. Although, I don't want to kick, you know, I don't want to do what Joe Thomas did, kick all those guys into guard. <laughs> you know what I mean? Somebody's got to play tackle. And if, if Bill thinks, because Wills does have the arm length, he just doesn't have the body length. That you know normally you know you know you would like, but uh, and he's got quite the athlete. But he's a very stout player. I mean, he can lock out on you, and uh, he can uh, mirror you, and, and stay square, and do that. So, um, and then Jackson, I think Jackson, an ascending guy from Southern Cal, he's got the athletic ability. He's got great feet, and uh, so I think that he's a guy that again he he will be better a year from now than coming right in. But I, he's still not in the Wurfs, Thomas, Wills up there right now, but he's close. And then uh, Cleveland, I think that he's just going to have to work, you know, with, with uh, Bill's going to have to work with him. Say, for instance, he uh, say he's available when you take two, two uh, tackles. 
you know, the first two picks. What if he's available at 41, which he probably won't be because everybody needs tackles. But, you know, th- that'd be a, uh, another option that, you know, you'd think about. Say, hey, here, here's a, a – ta- we've got Conklin. But, uh, you know, maybe we could move Cleveland into guard or something. But anyway, that's another story. So, uh, but, but I think that, uh, you know, but Worf's athletic ability and uh, his intensity and his intelligence in the uh, zone running and pass, uh, pass protection uh, puts him ahead of uh, the other guys. And then Thomas, like I said, is real close. Or, I mean, it, it's kind of like, flip a coin on Thomas and Worfs in some respects, but I like Worfs because he's 30 miles down the road from us, uh, you know, and I've seen him for, I've seen him play for forever since he's a little, hey, he's a hell of a baseball player too. So, uh, you imagine that, but anyway, that's why. Dan, thanks for making us smarter, buddy. We appreciate Uh, you. I always look forward to this visit with you. Thank you for your time. You bet you guys anytime. Thank you so much. That's our good buddy, Dan Shonka, the general manager of our lads, NFL scouting, ourlads.com. That's uh, that's an information meat sandwich right there, that kids. A, uh, Browns fans, there. log on log on to clevelandbrowns.com wherever you get your podcasts. Head over to YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Browns to check out the latest episode of the BPA. On today's episode, the Z sits down with Browns equipment director Brad Mellon. This is fun. And Luke Ott from Repon Athletic to talk new uniforms. And Gribby uh, sits down with the Athletics' Dane Brugler to break down his seven-round Mach 1, Week 1, draft coming up next we continue our tour around the afc north with the baltimore ravens you listen to cbd on 850 espn cleveland you're listening to cleveland browns daily on 850 espn cleveland All right, welcome back into Cleveland Browns Daily on a Friday edition of the program. We continue our tour around the AFC North, post-free agency, into the draft. Our good buddy covers the athletic for the uh, – or covers the Ravens, rather, for the athletic. Jeff Zrebeck joining us. Jeff, thanks so much for taking the time. Before we get into to what's gone on this offseason, now that you've had some time to kind of put the last season into perspective, because that, I will be honest with you, my friend, was something that I could not have been more wrong on. I, I did not anticipate them being that good that quickly, Lamar having that type of year. As you look back on it, did you foresee that type of success? Did the organization foresee that type of success with that team? No, I don't think so. And, and you know, the law, the playoff loss where they just, I don't want to say didn't show up, they just played so poorly kind of marred that uh, the rest of the season. But, yeah, there's no question they were much further ahead than anyone thought last year. I mean, at this time last year, I think, you know, given all the Browns did and, and they were kind of the, the, the chic pick and – Steelers, you know, are always going to be up there. You know, there's a lot, plenty of people thought the Ravens, you know, were projecting them to finish third in the AFC North. So, uh, but even beyond the projections, I, I think they things came together way quicker. Uh, Lamar Jackson improved uh, more rapidly than anybody anybody thought. You know, the first week of training camp, he was still throwing these balls where I was like, wow. I, you know, all we heard all off season is how. Yeah, he went to work and improved his mechanics, and we're not seeing it. Then, you know, about halfway through training camp, the ball wasn't hitting the ground a whole lot. 
Um, and then once the season started, he, he just kind of became a, a different player. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think uh, I was extremely surprised. I thought they may be a 9-7 and seven team last year, uh, maybe with a little luck, get to that 10-6 and six mark and compete for a playoff spot. But to go 14-2 and two and have the number one seed, uh, you know, I, that, I was as surprised as anybody. I just did not think uh, they were ready to make such a move. Clearly, they were, and they did a great job surrounding Lamar Jackson with talent. They already had, obviously, Mark Andrews, but Hollywood Brown comes in. He's the leading receiver. And then this was the one I remember the day the Ravens signed him in free agency. I told, I said, I do not like this one bit, and that was Mark Ingram. I thought that was just a sensational move, and he, he added a lot to that team. And do you think when you look back on it, you know, to get the guy to give you 1,300 yards and 15 touchdowns that Mark Ingram was maybe one of the most underrated but turned out to be home run free agent signings in the entire league last year? Yeah, and I'll be honest with you, I was wrong. I was dead wrong. Not that I didn't not that I didn't think Mark Ingram was a good player and I thought it wouldn't be a good signing. I thought it was a solid signing, uh, but I just wondered if, you know, I, I, we had all talked about them last year getting a more dynamic back, you know, a, a home run hitter to kind of complement kind of the, the north-south style of, of young running back Gus Edwards, who, you know, every time he gets the ball, he seems to get positive yards and make some plays. So I, I didn't like, I, I don't want to say I didn't like, but I wasn't sure that Ingram was the exact guy they needed. You know, there's so much talk about them going after Le'Veon Bell last year, and that never, you know, never materialized. Uh, so I was, I was wrong on that. I mean, it was an absolute perfect fit. Um, just his style, uh, everything he brought. And, and, you know, that's a very young offense that had young players littered at every, pretty much almost every position. Um, and Mark Ingram, they needed kind of that alpha male veteran who's been there to kind of step in there, take some pressure off Lamar Jackson and become, you know, that, that vocal leader on offense because they were kind of lacking that guy. So even with all he did from a statistic standpoint, he also brought a lot more to the locker room. Yeah, and I tell you, I, I hate, when I meant I hated it, I meant I hated it for the Browns, and it, it turned out pretty great. The, the Ravens made another move. Speaking of alpha males and guys that are going to come in and do as much on the field as they do in the locker room, the trade to get Calais Campbell, probably the biggest move of the offseason, along with you know franchising Matthew Judon to not let him go. But that was a, another big-time move, uh, I thought. And what was your reaction to the, to, the, to the decision to go get Calais Campbell and, and what he can bring to this Ravens team? Yeah, and you can't beat the price, right? I mean, uh, yeah. you know, a day, a day three draft pick to get a guy, uh, you know, of his quality. And he is getting up there in age, but um, the Ravens figure to use him in, in such a way to get the best out of him for a couple of years. I mean, they only it's only a two-year deal they have him on, so he, he should be plenty able to fulfill that deal and still be playing at a high level. Um, it's been a kind of, I don't want to say a problem, it, they just haven't, gotten a whole lot of interior pass rush in recent years you know like when nada when haloti nada was in his prime he provided some you know they've been stout in the middle there you know brandon williams is a very good nose tackle and michael pierce a good you know defensive tackle but these are run stoppers and yep. uh, they've had issues getting pressure in the middle uh and they've had to kind of blitz a ton to kind of compensate for that so to get Calais Campbell, a, a guy who's versatile, and, and get to the quarterback and, you know, is another, as you said, alpha male, kind of on and off the field, great community guy, Walter Payton winner. 
um, for what they've got, and then to kind of get another solid pass rusher and Derek Wolf uh, for basically nothing. I mean, one year, three million dollars. Uh, they added, they improved that spot in a big way, uh, and and they have they've added an element that they've lacked in recent years. Now they have plenty of work to do. Uh, but one of their primary goals this offseason was to improve the interior of that defensive line, um, and and they did it in a big way with, without really using a ton of assets to do it. Jeff Strebeck is our guest. He's a senior writer for The Athletic covering the Ravens as we continue our tour around uh, the AFC North in advance of next week's uh, NFL draft. The Ravens now are in that position where uh, I think probably the team that did it best most recently, and everyone's kind of followed it, is the Russell Wilson Seattle model where you get a quarterback before you have to pay them, and you can pay everybody else around them, and you're in this window now to win a championship. So um, they're there, 14-2 and a year ago, league MVP. You feel like there's a couple of things they need to do to be able to knock down the door and win a championship. You said there's work that they still need to do. What work exactly is that that can put them in the category with Kansas City and a team that can win the championship? Yeah, I mean, um, first of all, and this is – this is not roster work, but, uh, you know, this, this is a team, again, that, that's going to have to learn how to win in the playoffs. We've seen two straight one-and-dones from them, and, um, you, you know, where they haven't played well at all. They've gotten beat up uh, on both lines of scrimmage, which is not characteristic of them. Uh, I don't want to say they didn't show up, but they just got outplayed and physically dominated in back-to-back playoff games. So uh, they're going to have to, you know, the regular season, now I'm not booking them into the playoffs by any means. I I know how difficult it is every year. Um, But, you know, they're proving ground. Well, They're going to have to make the playoffs, and then their proving ground is going to be in the playoffs because there's going to be some skepticism there until they're able to kind of push things forward and win a playoff game. I mean, it used to be a staple of John Harbaugh you know, all those years in the beginning, uh, I guess it was the first five or six years, they not only went to the playoffs and they won a game, at, at least one game. So uh, that's going to be the thing uh, this year that's going to kind of hover over the team. You know, can they stop with this one-and-done thing? But from a roster perspective, there's still four kind of front-line needs. Now, every team in the league needs depth at different spots, and we could talk about that, but I'm more talking about where you need a guy to either come in and start or compete for a starting job. They need another edge rusher. They blitzed more than any other team in the league last year, and they were in the bottom third of the league in sacks. I mean, everyone's always so used to the Ravens team having this ferocious pass rush. They really haven't had that. Now, they've improved interior, as we talked about. Now they have to get another guy in the edge. Uh, their middle lineback- Their inside linebacker depth chart, is the worst on on the team. I mean, that's it's the I should say worst. I should say thinnest. L.J. Fort's the only guy that started a game in the NFL at that spot, and to most people, he's more of a special teams guy. So they need to find that inside linebacker. They've almost always had that guy, whether it was Ray Lewis and then Daryl Smith was a bridge, and then C.J. Mosley, obviously. But but they lack that guy now. And then on offense, there's two spots. They're thin at wide receiver. Uh, you know, they like their two guys they drafted last year, Brown and Boykin, and, and they really, uh, you know, need the quality uh, veteran slot guy, but they need they need one or two more there. And, and then they need an answer in, in the interior offensive line. You know, their center had two or three ligaments in his knee in November. He's no sure thing to be ready. And Marshall Yonder retired. So uh, that's four spots you know, yeah. two on each side of the ball that they need to find an answer for. Um, so, I, you know, they have nine picks in the draft and seven in the first four rounds. 
so this is a very important draft for them. They, they need they need to get guys who can kind of come in and, and make an immediate impact. Jeff, thanks for your time, man. We appreciate you. All right. You guys take care. You do the same. That's Jeff Zrebeck, senior writer for The Athletic, covering the Baltimore Ravens as we continue, uh, as we conclude our look at the AFC North. Coming up next, you're going to hear some of the highlights from Paul DePodesta's uh, meeting with the media yesterday. You're listening to Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. You're listening to Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Cooking is hard, delivery is easy. Sort of takeout or delivery at buffalowildwings.com or through the new Buffalo Wild Wings app. Get award-winning wings, over 24 sauces, seasonings, delivered hot and fresh straight to your house or from their delivery partners, DoorDash, Grubhub, and Uber Eats that is subject to availability, of course. Our Chief Strategy Officer, Paul D. Podesta, meeting with the media yesterday. Here are some highlights of his conversation with the local media. Let's have a listen. I was wondering if you could comment on a report yesterday. We're always hearing... Rumors about Odell Beckham Jr. and his future here in Cleveland. There was a report that the Browns have been talking to the Vikings about a potential trade. Could you just comment on that, please? Sure. I'm, I guess in short, I'll just say it was completely false. Um, you know, I, it, it, it's frustrating a little, bit, a little bit, obviously. I think it's pretty clear that we're, we're trying to build uh, at this point. We, we've done an awful lot in free agency. Uh, we're excited about what we have a chance to do in the draft. And we're really building around a, a core of players that we think have a chance to be a championship caliber core. Um, and the idea that we would take away from that core, you know, at this moment just doesn't make a whole lot of sense and, and really not something that we're exploring at all. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's completely false. Paul, can you uh, take us to next Thursday and describe your setup for us? How many phones, how many computers, how many screens when the draft gets going? <laughs> Uh, well, my, uh, my home office is definitely enhanced, uh, from what it was previously. Um, I think, uh, Brandon Covert and his team, uh, of IT folks at the Browns done an unbelievable job of, of setting all of us up, um, to make sure that we're, we're functioning. Um, I do have an official draft phone here in my office. I have, uh, multiple screens. Um, I have some backup generator and backup internet. Uh, just in case things go down, so uh, I think we'll be uh, I think we'll be in really good shape, and I think my setup is going to mirror what what uh, probably you know eight or nine of us in the organization have. Hey Paul, how difficult has this virtual draft transition been for your specific responsibility, and what are some of the obstacles that you kind of had to look through these last couple of weeks? You know, I'll be honest, uh, it's. Uh, <laughs> um, Peter and I were joking. I, you know, I have a little. I probably a little more, resp- uh, little more experience working from home than most. <laughs> uh, at least, at least that's what people seem to think. Uh, but uh, look, it, it really hasn't been, bad, been too bad at all. And I think if, if you look at the certainly the grand scheme of things of what people are dealing with in the world, um, what we've had to deal with is trivial. Um, you know, trying to make sure we get set up and have virtual meetings as opposed to being uh, doing it face to face again, pales in comparison to what a lot of real people are, are dealing with uh, on a day-to-day basis right now. So I don't think any of us has seen it as a, as a really big deal. It's just been a, uh, 
you know, a challenge to overcome. And, uh, but we're, we're been completely focused on the players, um, just like we always are. And I just don't think it'll be materially different. Uh, my biggest disappointment, I think, for this year because of the circumstance is that we can't all be together to really enjoy it. Um, you know, it, it's been an incredibly collaborative exercise to date, um, and I think it's going to be uh, uh, an co- uh, incredibly collaborative experience uh, next Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And I think it ultimately would be uh, fantastic if we could all uh, experience that together and in the same room and in the same building with all of our coaches, with all of our scouts, with all of our football personnel. Uh, and unfortunately, we won't, we won't be able to do that piece of it. Um, and I, I think that's, that's a shame. Um, but, um, but in terms of picking players and the execution of our plan, uh, I feel great about where we are and, and don't think that the, the setup is, is going to hinder us in any way, you know, whatsoever. Paul, how do you feel about uh, what free what you've been able to do in free agency, sort of executing your plan and that kind of stuff? Uh, excellent. You know, we, we really felt great about what we were able to do um, in March with with free agency. You know, we, we had a, a very specific plan, I think, both offensively and defensively. Thought, uh, you know, uh, the coaches worked really, really well with personnel uh, to try to carry that off. And then I thought Andrew Barry just did a outstanding job of executing uh, on the plan. We obviously went after some, you know, some – some target guys early uh, with the offense. Uh, we decided we'd be a little bit more patient with, with the defense um, and fill in a lot of the, the depth that we felt like we needed. And, and again, I think uh, we executed it really well, and, and A.B. really ought to be commended. He, he was juggling an awful lot. I don't think we expected um, all of it to happen as, as quickly as it did. We knew that the big deals, as always, tend to happen really fast, so we were prepared for those. Uh, but in terms of making the deals we were able to make on the defense, uh, I think it's a real credit to Andrew that, th- that those got done as quickly as they did. Uh, I think under normal circumstances, those may have played out over the course of two or three weeks and not, uh, you know, not five or six days. But uh, we, Paul, just we were to follow up overall. on that. I'm sorry, just yeah. to follow up on that. Why the emphasis on uh, maybe the offense first? Oh, I think it's just what the class presented to us. Okay. Um, you know, we, we were looking at. Uh, I, I think if a couple of players had been available on the defense and, and you know in key positions and, and they fit all of our criteria, then we would have mm-hmm. done the same on defense. But in this particular year, you know the uh, a couple of them um, that really sort of checked all the boxes for us happened to be offensive players. Hey Paul, with uh, the potential for trades next Thursday and with everybody We've also, yeah, out I would say what one last one last comment on that is you know the other thing is. You know, we, we've talked a lot about being a quarterback-centric, you know, organization. And, um, you know, the first two big signings, I think, certainly point to uh, doing whatever we can to, you know, to support the quarterback. So I think that was, you know, certainly another reason why it ended up working. But um, but it did so happen that those types of guys were available, you know, in this class. Uh, Paul, with the potential for trades next Thursday and the front office spread out in different locations and that, how far along are you in the process of, you know, maybe placing value on picks that are behind the Browns? And just what does that process entail from your standpoint? Yeah, our, our guys have done a tremendous job over the years of, of getting a handle on the market uh, when it comes to trading picks. So I think we feel very comfortable there. 
what'll be different, you know, this year is just the actual logistics of talking that through, or if, you know, if multiple teams are calling us, um, you know, at, at a particular spot, um, and, and we're in different, you know, we're, we're on the phone, uh, or different people from the Browns are on the phone, but in different locations, and then have to communicate it all to the group, it'll just go a little, a, a little slower than it would if we were all in the same room. But I think we have plenty of time, um, you know, given the given the structure of the draft and the different rounds, I think we'll have plenty of time to actually carry out anything that that, uh, that we actually want to do. Paul, what is your research, though, in terms of, you have several guys in the draft are primarily right tackle, you need a left tackle. Uh, what is your research, though, your feelings about, you know, like a guy from Alabama that's like primarily right tackle or somebody else uh, going over the left? Yeah, you know, we uh, I probably won't share a whole lot of that analysis uh, because of some of the some of the proprietary work that's involved, but um, but I do think there are there are certainly examples historically of, of guys who have made transitions from from one side to the other. Um, but I think we we make those decisions on a on sort of an individualized basis. So I, I wouldn't make any sweeping comments as to whether or not we think you know one uh, you know that uh, that that just universally someone can move from one side to the other or or they can't. Um, it, it really is a case by case basis, and it's something we've talked about. It's something we've, uh, you know, Bill Bill Callahan's weighed in uh, on it for us, and uh, scouts have talked about it extensively. And I think we we feel good about where we are in those discussions on each guy. But I'm not going to uh, not going to comment on any of the individual guys. Your research, you have found basically found some guys that uh, you see uh, right tackles have gone over to left. I guess because that seems like the the primarily the harder one allegedly. Uh, yeah, it's, it, w- it wouldn't be unprecedented. I'll say that. Paul, as you look at left tackle, how do you weigh, you know, the possibility of you know going out and acquiring a proven veteran versus, you know, bringing in a young guy uh, in the draft on a rookie contract? Sure. Yeah. No, there, there's definitely a balance between your your short term and and long term you know expectations. You know, in in the short term. Even when you take great players in the draft, uh, you have to expect that it's going to take a little time for them to get their sea legs. You know, at the NFL level, you, you, again, you asked someone asked at the at the very beginning about some of my learnings uh, from my first draft till now. I mean, I can look back at that 2016 tackle class, and you know, there's some really really good players right now after four years in the NFL. Uh, they didn't necessarily play at that level in year one. Um, so I think we have to expect that, um, you know, if, if you take any any young player, um, you know, regardless of position, but certainly at the tackle position, that they're not going to just be a you know an all pro right away. Um, you know, you have you have the rare case. You know, you have the Joe Thomases of the world, and I think that's what we're all shooting for. But um, I think those are those are extremely unusual, um, and yeah, I think you have to expect that there are going to be some growing pains for any. Any young player. At the same time, you know those players um, may have really, really high potential, and uh, so going through those growing pains is quite worth it because you look up after two, three, four years, and you have uh, you do have that perennial All Pro uh, playing at a you know playing at a key position. So, um, but it, but it certainly is something that we have to weigh, um, you know, not just at that position, but I think across across the roster as we look at some of these players that we have the chance to add during the draft. But I, I do think you you uh, can run into problems when you go into the draft with the idea that you're solving needs for that season. 
um, that uh, I think sometimes that can be a mistake. Obviously, there are a lot of unknowns at this moment, but to be blunt about it, what's your appetite for trading down from 10? Oh, I, I think it's impossible to say right now. Um, you know, I'll, I'll have a, a better idea, you know, next Thursday night after the first handful of picks are off the board, probably. <laughs> uh, look, we think there's going to be a good, a very good player there for us at 10. A very good player. Um, so, uh, and, and it, it could be, and I don't have one player in my mind right now. We just, there are more than 10 players on our board that we think are going to be really, really good NFL players. So I, I may feel differently come, again, come next Thursday night if most of those, or, or if, uh, you know, only a couple of those players are off the board versus a whole lot of those players. But, um, but I think we really feel good about uh, what we might be able to acquire right at 10. Well, how would you just maybe explain your general draft philosophy on taking need versus taking best player available? Yeah, I think we're, you know, it would be consistent with what I've just been speaking about. I think we're probably more focused on best player available. You know, sometimes need will, will come into the equation, um, especially if you're trying to decide between a couple of players and you need a tiebreaker or something like that. Um, but, uh, but I think best player available is probably, you know, probably more the driver. Hey, Paul, the, the unusual circumstances of this draft and this virus has uh, virtually eliminated the typical uh, off-season camp season. Would that cause you to approach this draft differently in that you know rookies are going to have even tougher time than what you just said of breaking in? Would that alter your strategy just for one year only? It's a, it's, it's a great question. Uh, it's something we've talked a lot about internally um, I don't know that it'll have a, a dramatic impact on what we do just because I, I actually think our expectations for a rookie, even in a normal year, are pretty level set. Um, that being said, um, the, the reality is such this year that they're just, you know, the rookies aren't going to have as much time on the field as, as they normally would uh, in a typical offseason. Um, so I think we should at least be aware of that. Um, I will tell you, our coaches have done an unbelievable job of preparing for what's essentially a virtual, you know, off-season program for our players. And uh, I've been pretty blown away with um, how they've put together um, a plan to, uh, uh, to teach and to implement our philosophy and implement our culture and build our culture with our players um, it's really been fantastic, obviously led by Kevin, but, um, but each of our coaches uh, and each one of our position coaches has it's, it's really been remarkable what they've done and has made me uh, uh, very bullish on our, you know, on our prospects, even, even without uh, a normal offseason. Well, uh, just to follow up on uh, some of the OBJ stuff that, that was flying around yesterday when the, when the, re- when the rumor or the report uh, came out, I think it was Colin Cowherd, uh, reported that Odell wants out of Cleveland. Um, is that um, you know, inconsistent with what you know from Odell, and can you just address uh, you know, the fact that I'm sure you know that he probably does want to be here? Yeah, I mean, I'd probably leave that to Odell and Kevin uh, to talk about, and I'm, I'm not going to you know, speculate on it, but I have no reason to believe that um, he doesn't want to be. I mean, o- Odell's been... I think he's been very good this offseason. He's been engaged. I know with Kevin, I think he's excited about the possibilities of, of uh, you know, what what this offensive system could bring for him. And 
um, we're excited to have him. All right, good stuff uh, from from Depot there. We're going to react to that coming up next. Plus, Nathan has uh, – we want to get into a little something on these tackles and, and how they're ranked. So we'll get into that as well. That's what you have to look forward to. Cleveland Browns Daily, 850 ESPN Cleveland. You're listening to Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. All right, guys, for a significant period of the time, the Browns are going to commit 100% of the team's net proceeds from the 2020 jersey sales at First Energy Stadium's Pro Shop in partnership with Legends and online at Fanatics.com to the Hats Off to Our Heroes Fund to place an order from the First Energy Stadium Pro Shop. Call 440-824-3427. In-store purchases, of course, unavailable at this point in adherence to all the policies and social distancing best practices. In addition, though, partners and fans can contribute directly to Hats Off to Our Heroes Fund at clevelandbrowns.com slash COVID-19, which also features community resources and information relevant to the coronavirus. Uh, good stuff from Depot there. It, it's interesting because what he can't say a lot, right? I mean, he's a week before the draft, so you can ask direct questions on what you think of left and right tackles flopping back and forth. I thought the question Doug asked him was the one that that I think is interesting. And and again, I don't know if you'll get a if you're going to get a straight answer, but just the idea of value versus need. Um, and I think in general, if NFL teams draft best player available, that's the, that's the way to do it. And that's basically just in life. It's from a position of not being vulnerable. Um, but that that's probably the best way to do it. It also sets you up nicely if you want to be in the trade market next week. Of course it does. And I think, you know, what comes out of these for me when I hear from Paul DePodester, you hear from Stefanski, you hear from Andrew Barry, that they've got a plan in place. They have a process. They, they feel very comfortable in the procedures that they're going to use to execute on their plan. And uh, Paul DePodesta gives me always a sense of comfort. And as Stefanski does as well, so does AB. And it just seems that they know how they want to attack this. They've identified yeah. the positions that they think hold the biggest value that you use your most valuable assets on. Uh, and I think that they will go down that path. And I think that's exactly what we're going to see in this draft and it, it it's funny at least and to our amateur eyes you know the two biggest needs that you have their sweet spots seem to line up pretty well with where you're picking yeah. in the first two rounds in terms of the safety class in round two and the tackle class all over round one from 10 down if you were looking to get more assets I mean Dan Chanka said and that's why I asked him the question where do you want to have a lot of picks in this year's draft and he said I'd love to have a lot right. in the third or early fourth and certainly you know you move back you have an opportunity to pick up a pick there maybe something in the future as well so I think it's going to be an interesting way to see where they feel that there are some inefficiencies that they can exploit and values to be to be gained in this particular draft. And listen, my dream scenario remains the same. Whoever our favorite tackle is, get him in the first round and get me Grant Delpit in the second round. That's where that's where I'm at. That's where I've that's where I've arrived. And that's what I'm that's what I'm hoping for. Those soon are not excluded, of course. <laughs> I had to check. I had to yeah, check yeah, yeah. because yeah, of yeah. your your best case scenario. I said, well, the best case scenario is is no longer that eleven drops to us, don't we? Wouldn't that be the way to go? Is is that eleven drops? I don't see any scenario where he gets to us. I just me don't. neither. I, I just I'll take I just it. think that I know I'd die to have it, but I I just think it's pretty clear that um that his skill set. The more and more people you talk to around the league about what he can do and the type of things he can do in this offense, he's such a unicorn player um, that I just can't see any scenario unless there's a run on quarterbacks and linemen. It, it's still it's hard to get to that point. Um, I'm, I'm with you. I, I think if you can get that, those are the two positions of need. 
I don't care the, the order with which you do them. Um, I love the idea that we have Bill Callahan coaching our offensive linemen. So yep. um, you can get a kid who can get coached up maybe in the second round if there's something at 10 that you love. Um, I think those things are really important. And I do love the idea of Depot saying, hey, best player available. Because the best player player available, let's say you address tackle um, at, at 10 – or you trade down and, and you, let's say you do that Broncos pick and you move down and the Broncos get there and you get your tackle there at, in the Broncos' old pick and you pick up a second two, let's say that's it. Well, at 41, if somebody like – if one of those receivers is there, let's just say, and I know this is not a position of need, but let's just say that Michael Pittman Jr. drops to you. Yep. And you're talking about a 6'4 guy on the outside who's a first-round grade who's something we don't have. We don't, we don't have a big receiver. If he all of a sudden is there at 41 and you've got another two where you can address the other safety down the road, then I'm not going to have any problem with that. So there's a lot of ways for them to go about this. There certainly are, and I think that's what's exciting and exciting to see how they take advantage and navigate that, and that's what that's where the drama lies to me in this draft for yep. the Cleveland Browns. How are they going to navigate and what they feel is extract the best players and the best value out of the landscape with which in which they're going to operate? So, yeah, I, I'm pumped to see that, and that's going to be, I think, what's going to be so fun, you know, happening, you know, in, in six days and maybe even in seven days as you move around in the second rounds and third rounds as well. Yeah, it is going to be fun. You wanted to address uh, – you had a tackle ranking that you wanted to discuss here, buddy. we got a little bit of time. Yeah, so this is interesting. It's Bob McGinn's draft series, and this is the 36th year that Bob McGinn has written an NFL draft series. Previously, it was in the Green Bay Press-Gazette from 85 to 91, the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel through 2017, and then Bob McGinn football for the last few years, and now it is on The Athletic. Uh, and it's an – talks to scouts, GMs. It's all anonymous in terms of the quotes, but I thought this was interesting. The tackle rankings that he got after talking to everybody, Andrew Thomas, number one, Becton, two, Jedrick Wills, three, Austin Jackson, four, Isaiah Wilson out of Georgia, five, and Ezra Cleveland, six, with Josh Jones, the other name we've heard a lot about, coming in seventh. So those are the tackles. Now, you didn't hear Tristan Wirfs's name. He is listed as the number one guard in this. And some of the, the quotes about it, which are interesting, and we've heard you know, that Joe say he seems like a guard, et cetera. They just say, can, can he play left tackle? Yeah, but there's no verifiable evidence of that. He was not good at left tackle for Iowa, but he is. if you move him inside, he is going to be a star, better athlete than football player at this point. Um, so there a lot of just differing opinions on these guys, but I found that interesting because I remember looking through it and I said, wait a second, where's Tristan Wirfs? But they love Thomas, legit starter right away was kind of the consensus there. Becton, a chance to be a physical freak, could be like Orlando Brown of the Ravens um, or Trent Williams. Uh, Jedrick Wills, the best technician, light on his feet, very, very good in terms of everything he's done. But, you know, he's going to be on, the, he's only played the right side his whole life. Jackson, the one I think is, is interesting. He's smart. He's got a, he's a tremendous athlete, uh, has the feet to play left tackle. Um, you know, they think that he is an unbelievable ball of clay, but a total boom or bust type of a guy. That makes you nervous. Uh, the one thing I would say is just, just one thing on Wirfs. What if Wirfs is Marshall Yonda? Just play him at guard. Right, right. And then and you just go that out. Yep. Treader, Batonio, Wirfs. And have the best interior offensive line in the NFL. Right. And forget about it. Right. And, and figure out left tackle somewhere down the line in free agency. But now all of a sudden, there's not going to be anything coming up the middle on Baker. Correct. And you would be able to, to do that, and you'd have to give help on that left side. Here's the, sure, the last quotes. 
the last final quotes I want to share are about Ezra Cleveland, and these are from anonymous scouts, et cetera. Quote, he's a really good athlete. He'll be a solid pass protector. I think he's steady. He tested out really well. He'll be close to the first-round tackles. Um, reminds me of some of the guys Green Bay has had over the years, Balaga, Bakhtiari, guys that kind of are just functional and get the job done, not spectacular, just steady. Um, if Cleveland didn't have to interview, it'd be really, he'd, people would really like him. His interview was so low energy and kind of flatlined that it kind of scared people. He's just steady Eddie. It's not that he's a bad guy at all. Um, he's athletic. He's, a, he's going to get stronger. Uh, everybody's high on him. Why am I not that high on him? There's a degree of tightness in his hips, balance issues. I question his lower body strength. Not going to beat point of attack defenders. Finesse guy that uses his size. Size defenders knock him around. I question his lateral adjust, but guys like him. So steady Eddie, but uh, uh, Balaga and Bakhtiari, if we got a Balaga Bakhtiari, sign me up right there. <laughs> you, you take that guy, absolutely. I sure would. Uh, yeah, it's... It, it's just interesting uh, the varying d d opinions on these guys in, in terms of what you do with them, and and it's why it's going to be fun next week when we get to the draft. Final segment up next: CBD eight fifty ESPN Cleveland. You're listening to Cleveland Browns Daily on eight fifty ESPN Cleveland. All right, final segment here on a snowy Friday. Exactly how you wanted your mid-April to be, my friend, uh, edition of the program. One other thing that uh, we want to get to, because we actually have relative, it's not live sports, but we have new sports content to consume over the weekend. The Michael Jordan documentary, The Last Dance, uh, debuts. I think there's been a, an extended clip that's been floating around uh, the interweb on the line today. Um, your your anticipation for this? Do you have any apprehension for this? What do you hope to see here? Will you watch it live? I don't know if I'll watch it live, but I will absolutely watch it. I'm excited to see it. I am nervous, though, that this could be one of those things where, and even Jordan said, look, this is going to make me look pretty bad, where it's like sometimes, you know, meeting your heroes, the worst thing you could have done because they turn out to be cruds or slightly discourteous, <laughs> and then it, it right. ruins it for forever. So I think I'm prepared. I've heard enough of the stories and, you know, the Jordan Rules book yeah. was out. So you, you know it's coming, but seeing it might be a little bit more difficult. And uh, so I'm a little – I'm apprehensive about, you know, the light that it puts him in or what the – I think that's maybe the wrong way to say it – what the reality of Michael Jordan may have been. I guess – I feel like I have a pretty good handle on what yeah. it is. Yeah, but I don't want to – it's I mean, like one of those things, though, it's like – as yeah. Tiger King, for example, started to take its turn down the roller coaster, right. like I knew it was coming, but I just didn't need to see it anymore. And like I, yeah. I Michael Jordan just being awesome with the tongue out and, and doing all the greatness. That's that's Michael Jordan, ultimate competitor, all of that stuff. I don't need to see him being a, a, a crud or like, you know, I think just picking on some poor guy that never has the, you know, who's in the NBA, but never is going to be that level of a player. I think there's going to be a steady diet of crud is probably. Um, yeah, I think it's going the to be a crud sandwich. That, that I think it's going to be a crud sandwich. I think, I, think the other, I think two things. Number one, I'm surprised he agreed to do this knowing what was in it because there have been few athletes and, and certainly very few at his level that have protected their image as much as he has. Now, he's benefited tremendously from the fact that he was not in a social media age. He wasn't in a camera phone age. He wasn't even in a cell phone age when he was when he was up to his hijinks uh, in the 90s. So there was there's no record of it. So going on the record with it is for somebody who has protected his image as much as he did surprised me a little bit. The one apprehension I have is that this thing is too damn long. That 10 hours of anything like that seems so daunting to me. And I've, I've heard that the that the OJ 30 for 30 is spectacular. And I've seen 
parts of it. It won the Academy Award. I've seen parts of it. But yep. the idea of sitting down and dialing in to 10 hours of documentary is a, is a tough road for me to hoe, I think, buddy. That's, I'm concerned yeah. it's too much. It, it might, and it, you're right. It might be. Just like as we go back to the most recent documentary I watched, Tiger King ran its course pretty, right. you know, after four hours, four great hours, and then three too many. So, yeah, I, I think so. I think that's part of it. Um, but we'll see. You know, this, could this have been a, a basically th- three hours, four hours, five hours? Yeah, what's it's going to ultimately be ten? Is that what you said? Ten. Yeah, that's. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. They're also I, of course, doing... I'm, I'm. I'm curious. I'll watch. I mean, I'll yeah. check it out. I don't know if I'm going to be watching it live but and in real time. For example, um, you were so pumped initially about the Mike Vick one, and within a few yeah. minutes, you're like, "All right, no thanks." Yeah, I felt like I lived it too much. I think one thing that you find the sweet spot on with those is you is stuff that you had a passing knowledge of but didn't live it. Um, yep. And those are the ones that I find have been best where I actually feel like I learned something. I feel like I've consumed so much on Jordan and Vic that there wasn't anything really new to the story. It was just a retelling of a story that's, in the case of Vic, tough to stomach at times. Um, so I, I think that's a little tricky. One thing that I would I would give uh, a little plug here to, and I've talked to you about this off the air, but on the ESPN Plus, and these have been out since last year in July, the Peyton's Places yeah. series uh, on the NFL's 100, and we've, we've, we've seen like the clips of them, and, and, I, and I think the clips, a lot of them went viral. Every single one of those it, that I've seen, I've seen, I've watched three or four of them here in this week, is pure joy. Uh, if you love football and the history of football and the draft, and it's just amazing. He did, the one I watched last night, he sat down with his three favorite quarterbacks. Um, so it was his dad, Dan Marino, and Eli Manning. And he went to each of their places. Disrespect and talked to Joe to Montana. Well, his um, it wasn't that there was disrespect. I just think that uh, there. Why does Joe Montana have to be everybody's favorite? Joe Montana's got to be everybody's favorite player. He should be. He, um, but there was uh, there was something about Marino's. Marino was such a daring thrower. I mean, yeah. everything was yeah. deep down the yeah. field, and there was something that kids identified that with. For a guy who loves Jeff George, it ought to be right up your wheelhouse. Um, but anyway, so he he they actually he alluded to that something too about Joe that there was that a lot of his people like Joe, but he went Dan was the guy that he liked at that time. But it, it was just really cool to see him sit down and have these candid conversations and kind of relive their history. I had forgotten, for example, that Archie Manning in 85 played for the Vikings against the 85 Bears, and Otis Wilson nearly killed him. I mean, he literally I, I didn't killed remember him. that either. No, I had no no recollection of that. So I would recommend that to you. If you're look, looking for new football content, that one's really, really good. I thank you. I will. I noted. Yeah. What do you got going on? You got any plans? Uh, Arden, sweet Arden Drea turns. Of course, no, there are no plans, Bo. We There's are uh, we're on lockdown here. Uh, Arden Drea turns twelve tomorrow, so happy birthday! Oh, happy birthday to, to, my, to the angel! To my sweet angel there on April the eighteenth, we'll be making her a, a very special beef soup for her birthday. Of course, that's what you request. And with the snow falling, might as well be winter anyway. Yeah, yeah. I see the boys are outside running around with lightsabers, so apparently we're reenacting yes. Empire Strikes Back. So that's a win. Yeah, you're on uh, Hoth right now. That's right. Getting we those are on Hoth. Yeah. Going to be a fun week next week, guys, all the way through with this draft. It's going to be wild. Every day there's going to be something else going to be fun to chronicle it with you over the course of the week. The next level is next. For the great Z, I am merely Bo Bishop. CBD, 850, ESPN Cleveland. You've been listening to Cleveland Browns Daily, a production of the Cleveland Browns and ESPN 850 WKNR.